I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football. It's other F words. It's middle of May. (laughs) And I'm about to go crazy with off-season topics. Zach and I spent weeks talking about that when we run out of topics, you know, that this stuff will be nice to discuss down the road. We don't have anything to talk about. And then we ended up recording for like an hour and a half, but now I feel like I'm out of stuff to talk about and I'm going to have to make stuff up and here to help me do it mainly because Zach doesn't have a voice. It's Michael Herndon. Hello, Michael. Man, did you ever come to the right place? If you needed someone to fill some time (laughs) with uh, nonsense. We, we're going to talk about it all. I'm digging up articles about soccer players getting fired for farting. Tom Brady <laughs> is just going to get paid an absorbent amount of money to just show up to work whenever he wants. Um, but first, I, I want to talk about, actually, let's start with Brady. Um, it came out today, which today being uh, Tuesday, the 10th, whenever you're listening to this, Tom Brady is going to be paid reportedly by Fox 10 years $375 million to broadcast alongside, oh my God, who is his partner? I just had it. And now it's called Kevin Burkhart. Uh, Kevin Burkhart, yeah. And Fox pretty much just said, when you're done playing, this is what we're going to pay you. Tom Brady made $332 million over 23 years in his NFL contract. He's scheduled to make 375 over 10 It'd be between 22 and 25 million a year, which far surpasses. Um, my God, Tone, um, uh, Romo, this is a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> this is a disaster. It's, it's off season already. It's creeping into my bones. Look, long story short, Fox pretty much just told Brady, when you're done playing, here's your contract, and this is what you're going to get paid. That's Death Star budget money. Man, that's, that is beyond silly, and I like it. Brady has, for some reason, not for some reason, we know why. In the last three years, we've gotten to see more out of Brady than we got out of 20 years with him under Bill Belichick. And he's having a good time. He has a personality, and he's funny. He is funny. He's he's funny. He's engaging. Like, I, I really like him, and I was a big Brady hater for many, <laughs> many years, uh, you know, until probably just the last, you know, probably three or four here. Uh, it's uh, – it's going to be fantastic. I, I think he'll be um, like a, a better version of Tony Romo, honestly. Um, like I, I think one of the things that Romo does well is, is obviously his excitement uh, kind of bleeds over into the broadcast and kind of, you know, it, it's, it's fun to listen to, but it, it is only fun up to a certain extent when you have Romo doing a game, that's like, Oh, it's uh Browns Jets in uh, week 14. Neither of these teams are probably going to do anything this year. And and Romo's just overselling it like crazy. I get exhausted with the Romo enthusiasm. But but I think Brady's going to be fantastic. And, and I can't wait to hear the stories he tells on the broadcast. Because, I mean, this guy's been playing for my entire adult life, um, plus some. Uh, I guess he he took over when I was – uh, he took over for Bledsoe when I was a freshman in high school. So uh, that is insane to think about. And he's got a lot of stories, I'm sure, that'll be super interesting. And, and I mean, he's the greatest player of all time. He's one of the most fascinating athletes of all time. It's going to be great. Like they could just open the mic and have Brady sit there and tell stories over the broadcast without mentioning anything about what's going on in the field. And I'd watch like, 100% of that broadcast. I, I don't care who's playing. It could be like, you know, UAB versus, uh, you know, some national school of the blind or whatever. Like, I don't care. I'm, I'm in, I'm watching. I just want to hear them tell stories. Just think about how many quarterbacks uh, you as a Titans fan, think about how many quarterbacks we've witnessed since he took up. When did you take over? 2000 or 2001? 2000. Yeah. So just think about how many quarterbacks we've had to watch as a Titans fan. And he's only played for two teams that really. And, and you don't, I mean, he, I suspect this could be his last year in the league. I also said that three years ago. So 
it's time for me to shut up discussing trying to figure that out. And and thankfully, the national media is also starting to kind of, you know, stop it. I definitely didn't see a lot more of this. This, you know, is Brady breaking down that kind of stuff. Finally, when too many national pundits got their, uh, you know, got their pants yanked out from under them every time they made that prediction, he'd play for another one or two years. But, um, God, I mean, just to be able to retire and then know that you're going to bring in another over a quarter of a billion dollars over 10 years to get on TV and do something that he seems to enjoy. Now I'll be interested to see how it translates from him just propped up on the couch and BSing on Manning cast versus actually, you know, doing a a, a broadcast style analysis. But at the same time, you know, he seems to step up in, in, in his social media and, and his personality is, has opened up. So I think it's going to be good. I, I'm really interested and can't wait for him to be in the booth. Two things I'm extra excited about. The first time he does a Patriots game, obviously, um, and, and is it gets to talk about, you know, hopefully if Bill Belichick is still coaching, which I assume he will be, because it seems like Bill Belichick is interested in doing absolutely nothing besides coaching <laughs> football in his life. So uh, I'm excited for that. And I'm excited for the, the Brady calling of Rabel game like that. That's going to happen at some right. point here. And, uh, you know, how much shit is Brady going to give his buddy, Mike Vrabel throughout the broadcast? Like how many embarrassing stories is he going to try to tell? Because those two like have that relationship where like, you would think they're mortal enemies the way they just, they only want to humiliate and like, uh, you know, personally attack the other person but it's like done out of this weird bro love kind of way um and i feel like brady might unload all the variable stories the first time he gets to actually do a, a game of his so i'm super excited about that um yeah th- those are those are going to be some landmark games for me uh as far as getting to watch them you have an article up at broadway um when is this lo- when's the last time you wrote an article for broadway Oh God. Uh, it's probably, it's probably been over a year. I think um, Has it been that long. I think so. I don't, I can't remember when I retired, honestly. God <laughs> almighty. Somebody needs to pay you to broadcast. So you don't forget shit. When did I retire? 2004. Um, you got an article up at Broadway Titans begin their pivot on offense and finish their, um, finish their defense in two, in the 2022 NFL draft. Let me just start there without trying to give away the whole article. And it's a very well-written piece. What do you mean by that title? Their pivot on offense. And I, and I ask that because of this, what you're seeing a lot of early overreaction national media who only pays attention to the Titans two or three times a year is, well, Derrick Henry is clearly the only piece of the offense now, and the Titans are going to struggle passing. And how is this going to work running a running back that is, you know, clearly overdue for uh, having a downward swing. This clearly doesn't seem to be the way you're going with this. What do you mean by pivot on offense? Yeah, so I don't I don't think, like, there's a couple different ways you can move from one era to the next. And I think, you know, one way is obviously you blow it all up, trade, it, trade everything you can for parts, and, uh, you know, take it down to the studs and rebuild again, you know? Um, I don't think the Titans want to do that. I think they want to be sustainably contending And I think they've kind of taken a middle road here uh, to try to give themselves a chance. And and we'll get into the Malik Willis thing, because I think he's kind of a a key piece of this. But, um, you know, give themselves a chance to get into the next iteration of what this Titans offense is going to look like without having to get really, really bad. Right. Like, you know, Tannehill. And I know it is it is open season on Tannehill, and you are not allowed to say anything that is mildly positive about that man uh, within the greater uh, Tennessee area. But uh, uh, earmuffs, if you're one of those people that, that's going to attack anyone who says anything mildly positive about him, he's still a pretty good quarterback. Like, yeah, he had a pretty bad year last year, all things considered. Um, you know, he struggled with turnovers. He had the terrible, terrible playoff game. Like nobody's, nobody's saying that that wasn't terrible and a disaster. And that's, that's why I think it's definitely fair for the Titans to start looking for whether they want him to be the guy for, for many more years after this one, which 
uh, is the last year of his guaranteed money on his current contract. So that's significant. But I will, uh, I'd say that if you look at his numbers overall, 30 and 13 as a starter uh, over the past three years, uh, ranks in the top 10 in like all, almost every major statistical category, yards per attempt, passer rating, passing touchdowns, uh, rushing touchdowns for a quarterback, um, completion percentage, on and on and on, ranks in the top 10 among quarterbacks, even after a down year last year over that last three-year run period, right? So like he's not a terrible quarterback, and I know people try to make him out to be like Sam Darnold now, but he's just not that. So they're not going to be bad. Um, they're not going to be, uh, you know, five and 12 or anything like that, barring major injury issues, like probably an injury to Tannehill would be the only thing that would possibly drive them that low. Um, but they, they had to start rebuilding, right? Cause you look at the offense, Tannehill's 34 years old. Uh, you've got, uh, Lawan is, is 31 now. Um, Ben Jones is 33. Uh, you know, they, they had some older guys and they already jettisoned several of them, right? Roger Saffold is no longer with the team. Julio Jones got kicked to the curb. David Questenberry wasn't invited back. Um, so they got rid of half of the, of the six 30 plus year olds that were starting for them on offense last year. And, uh, I think the, the other half, only Ben Jones out of the other three, um, which is Lawan, uh, Jones and, and Tannehill. Only Jones has any guaranteed money uh, left on his contract after this year. And you throw into the fact, you know, Derrick Henry's 27 or uh, about to be 28 now. Um, or I think he is 28 now, actually. Sorry. Um, coming off of the first major injury of his career, he had the huge usage seasons the two years prior to that. You don't know how much you know, tread's going to be left on the tires and, and we don't know how he's going to react to having a metal plate in his foot and, and everything like that. So we'll see. I, I still think Henry's going to be a good football player this year, but you know, if they can count on him for 2023, 2024, like, are, are they going to give him another contract? I, I don't think they're going to give him another contract here. I mean, at least not a big contract. Maybe he gets a uh token like yeah we we want you to retire here and and but you're gonna have to start sharing the load with Hassan Haskins or whoever it may be uh kind of deal to to keep him you know as a titan for life or whatever you want to say but they're not giving him another big money deal at age 30 um with that much wear and tear and and everything so the titans have none of those guys have any guarantee money passed this year besides Ben Jones they had to start pivoting to what this next iteration of the offense looked like. And I always assumed it would be built around AJ Brown, which obviously that blew up for reasons that I don't think, I don't think the Titans intended for that to be the plan going into the off season. So uh, I think that was a little bit of a curveball, but still the reset button had to be pushed on offense and, and they've kind of started to do that without really going in the tank. I think they're, they're still going to be pretty good on that side of the ball. So you bring up a piece, and and we just full disclosure, Zach and I spent over forty five minutes last week talking about AJ Brown. So I I will spare our listeners us dissecting it again. But you bring up a piece that I that triggered my memory of something uh, Paul Karski PK said a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm going to butcher this, so Paul, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But it was essentially that. Could the Titans have found a way to make the money work for A.J. Brown? I'm sure they could have, but you would have been kicking the can and contracts down the road on, again, Tannehill, Lawan, Kevin Byard at some point. And as these money pieces start to be start to come, the bills come due for players like that, that goes outside of the team's mantra of sustainable competitiveness versus blow up and rebuild uh, do you agree with that piece? I mean, to me, that makes sense not to try to reopen the, the, the debate about could they or should they have kept A.J. Brown. That helped it make more sense to me about why you don't just opt for the fans screaming of, I can't believe you couldn't have found the money. Yeah, I, I think it, that's true. I mean, they, they kind of did it last year, right? Like last offseason, 
They they mortgaged a little bit of the future. They restructured Tannehill's deal, which, by the way, everyone that's screaming about Tannehill's the got the highest cap hit in the whole league this year. Oh God! Like, <laughs> like what a straw man argument. Like, yes, that is technically true, but it's only true because they restructured his deal last year to fit Julio Jones in. So if you're mad at Tannehill's cap hit this year, you can blame Julio Jones. Don't blame Tannehill. It, his contract isn't any different. He's still like by average annual value on the contract, which is what really you should look at. He's 13th or something in the league, which means he's a perfectly properly properly paid quarterback because like I just said before, he's an above average quarterback getting paid above average money. So anyways, that's just a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yes, I do think eventually they had to um, either decide that they were going to keep going all in with this group or they had to start looking to what the what is the next version of this that that we're going to build, and I think that's exactly kind of what what I was getting at with the pivot uh, outlook is that they're moving, they're setting themselves up to have an off ramp, so that if if they want to move on from Lawan, if they want to move on, you know, say Lawan gets hurt again next year and struggles, or or just you know misses six games or something like that they're not going to want to keep him around for another year on the roster. They're going to have to, you know, look at what, whether it's a Dylan Radins at left tackle and NPF at right tackle or whatever the, the calculations may be for who fills that seat on the bus. They're going to have to start looking for somebody else there. Cause you can't just keep paying a guy $15 million a year to play 10 games. So and Lawan fits under that bus, Tannehill fits under that. So, they they had their go for it year and it and it busted right. Julio Jones didn't work out. They mortgaged a lot uh, as far as pushing money into the future to get Julio Jones here. They're eating a lot of dead cap money already right now, uh, and I don't think they're particularly interested in restructuring more deals and pushing the can further down the road. They're not in a situation like the Saints when they had Drew Brees and they were just constantly doing this, constantly doing this. And they could because Drew Brees always gave them a chance to win the Super Bowl, right? Like they might have only won one Super Bowl with Drew Brees, but they had the chance that 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 option was on the table. I don't think the Titans necessarily believe that Tannehill is the kind of quarterback that's going to always have that on the table for them. And I don't think they want to give him another contract either. I, I think right. those guys are are done. Uh, as soon as, as soon as the Titans can feasibly move off of them, I think they're ready to move off of them and move and usher in a new era. Cause look, the defense is going to start to get expensive. The defense was really good last year. Um, and, and part of the price you pay when your defense is really good is you're going to have to pay those guys eventually. So guys like Amani hooker, David long, they aren't going to be cheap after this year. Um, you know, Christian Fulton is going to be expensive pretty soon. So, you know, I always think you want to invest more on offense than in defense, just in the modern NFL in general. But, you know, there's not a whole lot of guys on that offensive side of the ball that are young and that you want to invest in. So, um, you know, A.J. Brown was one of them. I don't think money was was the sole issue involved in the whole A.J. Brown debacle. But uh, regardless, it, it is it was time for them to, to move off of the salary cap uh, restructure roller coaster uh at some point and i think that that was one way to do it and let me ask you about that piece i again I, I do want to get to the new phases coming in and the new phases for uh the new phase the titans are moving into but i have maintained this opinion which is and and you just referenced it the titans didn't enter into the offseason nor uh you know a few weeks leading up to the draft as viewing A.J. Brown as a tradable commodity. They were viewing him as a player who's going to be on the field in 2022, but in the course of a few weeks, and especially the last few hours leading up to the draft, this clearly went from a negotiation to a hostage situation. So suddenly the Titans found themselves in a position to where, and I'm going to compare and contrast with, with Derrick Henry, because a lot of the conversation that came up with is, if you're going to trade somebody, why not trade Henry and try to make it work with, AJ Brown, which could leave you in a situation to where, okay, you have traded Derrick Henry. Let's assume that all the cards are even. You end up with the same number of draft picks that you got for Henry that you that you would have gotten or did get for AJ Brown. Now you're stuck with a player who may actually try to hold out and not play. And the Titans looked at it as he is now a tradable commodity versus 
a, a player that we're going to try to negotiate with alongside of everything you just said with, we have to get off this cap extension, restructuring contracts, roller coaster, because it doesn't fit in the J-Rob model. It doesn't fit in the now new Tennessee Titans model of sustainable, not blow up and rebuild, which the sustainable model, unless I'm completely assuming wrong, seems to be a safer way to go in the NFL to be competitive. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is. I mean, because, yeah, you blow it all up and you see these teams do it all the time and you yeah. end up with a, a you know number one draft pick and then you take – some quarterback and he doesn't pan out. And then here you are taking another number one quarterback. Like just look at what the Jaguars have done for years and years and years and right. years and years now, like being at the top of the draft and everything does not guarantee you uh, that your franchise savior is walking through that door. Um, and, and I do think that, you know, the point about trading Derrick Henry, I, they wouldn't have gotten anywhere near the hall that they got for Brown for Henry, no. just because the positional value and the age and everything like that. Um, so I, I think that's kind of one of those things that it, there's just no way that was ever going to happen. Um, you know, maybe you get like a third round pick for him, maybe, um, but uh, you're not getting a first for sure. So yeah, let's actually discuss your article instead of me derailing. <laughs> um, how does Malik Willis fit into this piece? Because He's got some serious, wonderful-looking raw talent, but it is that, raw. It's unfiltered. How does some a player like that who doesn't necessarily look completely NFL-ready fit into sustainable, competitive nature? I'm going to ruin a little bit of it at first because we expect Tannehill to play the whole season, barring the unfortunate. Like you said, he's still a good quarterback. Let's assume that Tannehill's gone at the end of this year how does that fit in? Can the Titans really develop this young man in one season? You know, I think it's where they ended up getting him. It's a close to ideal situation for John Robinson. Um, and, and let me say this. Yeah, I don't think Willis is going to be a year one starter. I think he's got a long way to go um, from a developmental standpoint. And and look, that's not a knock on him. Like he he's coming from Liberty. Um, Liberty did end up scheduling some pretty, uh, some pretty good schools, non-conference and stuff like that. But there's a lot of stuff that <laughs> he was able to do at the college level that he's just not going to be able to do at the NFL level or defenses that he saw at the college level are not going to look anything like defenses that he's seeing at the pro level. So, I, you know, and look, a guy like Patrick Mahomes, a guy like Josh Allen that came into the league with similar you know, I'm not going to say the same because um, I, I do think there's there's differences between all three prospects. But Mahomes and Allen came into the league with a lot of raw tools and like the talent was very clearly there, but they had some refining to do. Allen with his accuracy um, and, and Mahomes with his decision making like he was he was wild at Texas Tech. I mean, and obviously that was partially because of the scheme he played in and the supporting cast he had. but the both those guys took some time. Like obviously Mahomes sat for a year, was able to learn the offense, was able to grow under Alex Smith. And I think that is a, a, probably the model that Titans want to use. Josh Allen was thrown right into the fire and started right away and was absolutely dreadful for his first two years in the league. People forget how bad he was. He was, he was awful. real bad. You, you and I, um, and I steal this from you. We used to joke about the Josh Allen turnover factories back open for business. Because if he wasn't throwing picks, he was also fumbling the ball, too. He was bad. He was abysmal. And then suddenly overnight, the son of a bitch took my jokes away. And now all of a sudden, he's great. And I, by the way, I, I really kind of like him. He's like one of my favorite QBs in the league. <laughs> I know. I know. Me, too. And I'm, I'm like, I, I've got to go back and, like, mention search my uh, Josh Allen takes and start scrubbing him. <laughs> start <pretty> soon. scrubbing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's – when you look at stuff like that, it's like even the guys that have hit – lately it takes some time like it, the the walk in the door and like is suddenly a great quarterback in the league his rookie year that that is super rare it's just super yeah. rare and so willis giving him a year and the titans you know getting the timing is beautiful because if you look at it Tannehill's entering the last guaranteed year of his contract next offseason if the titans so choose they can either cut him with a post June 1st designation, which will save $27 million against their 2023 cap, which will pay for a lot of help uh, around Malik Willis. If that's the, the decision that they choose to make, 
or they could trade Ryan Tannehill and recoup some some draft assets in addition to saving. I think it's about 17 million um, if you do it that way. So you don't save as much money, but you could get some draft assets back. And and before anybody throws up, oh, nobody's going to trade for Tannehill. Carson Wentz got two third round picks uh, back for the Colts this year. Uh, Matt Ryan, who was older than Tannehill and, and spiraling downhill, got back a third round pick uh, for the Falcons. The Titans will absolutely be able to trade Tannehill, especially when him, when, when he's not got any guaranteed money left on his contract. Yeah. There you, uh, go. you know, if some team needs a bridge quarterback or, you know, needs to compete or finds out that let's say the jets find out that Zach Wilson sucks, uh, you know, they could absolutely trade for Tannehill. Like it, it is not uh, outrageous to think that they could move him and get a pretty nice pick back next year but all of that goes to say the titans have this one-year evaluation window with malik willis um where and and I, frankly i think Tannehill's job for 2023 depends more on what happens with malik willis behind the scenes this year than it does anything that Tannehill does on sundays which kind of sucks for Tannehill. um because frankly if this kid is good the Titans have a ton of reasons, financial and otherwise, to move on as quick as possible and get him in there. Um, and I think the Titans get that one year basically for free here. You know, you, you can you can sit him. You're going to sit him behind Tannehill. But then they have the option, too, in 2023 to basically run it back with Tannehill for the final year of his contract. And if if Willis, if Willis outright stinks, then yeah, maybe you do look and say, all right, well, we could try to tap into this 2023 quarterback class that everyone thinks is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, or you give Willis another year to develop. Uh, and so he gets to be on like the two-year plan, which I think if he ends up being on the two-year plan, that's not a very good sign, but <laughs> it is worth noting that Josh Allen's second year was really bad. And then his third was amazing. So We'll see. We'll see what happens. But they have a lot of options on the table for what they can do with Tannehill and Willis. And they kind of guarantee themselves they're not going to be terrible at quarterback for either of the next two years. And the upside, it's all upside, right? Like, because all you did was spend the 86 pick in the draft on this guy. Yeah. If you threw that pick away, nobody's going to care. I mean, it's, it's going to be like, oh, well, that sucks that that didn't work out but you're not in a significantly worse spot than you would have been. You're certainly not in as bad a spot as you would have been if, you know, say you had had to use a first round pick on the kid. So it's all upside for John Robinson It's all upside for the Titans. And if, if Willis hits, it's a franchise changer because all of a sudden you've got your franchise quarterback and right. he's young and he's under contract and he can grow with Traylon Burks and, and whoever this next wave of Titans offensive players are um, and all of a sudden your franchise is the chiefs. It's the bills, you know, it's these teams that are going to be perennial contenders because of their quarterback uh, you know, not, not because of what they've got around their quarterback necessarily. So I love it. I'm super excited about it, but I do think patience is going to be key for the fan base, which, you know, of course is, is not exactly uh, uh Always the fan base's strong suit. So speaking of Traylon Burks, um, what does his production have to be this year? I mean, it, it, your your mindset, mo- the mindset of most fans immediately went to, and I think rightfully so, of you traded an asset who had already proved himself on the field in A.J. Brown to go after an asset who has yet to prove himself in the NFL, and that's a gamble. I, it's a gamble I didn't personally like. I'm also of the assumption, which is possibly incorrect, that Traylon Burks is going to have to start producing and producing immediately this year on the field. Is that true? What do the Titans need out of this young man this year? Is he allowed to have some sort of saving grace his, his freshman year, or is he going to have to come in wild and out? Yeah, I think I think there's enormous pressure on him to come in and be – no, he doesn't have to be exactly A.J. Brown um, right out of the gates, but he's got to be something close because – Robert Woods is, uh, you know, coming off of the ACL injury, 
you know, even I think he'll probably be there for training camp, which is great. Um, but being there for training camp and being there for week one is not always the same thing as being a hundred percent when these guys are coming back from ACLs, like look no further than Bud Dupree, Taylor Lewan, even going back to like Jack Conklin, guys like right. that, that we've seen, it, it may take him some time to really round into form. So, you know, outside of those two guys, you're looking at, you know, right now, NWI, uh, you're looking at Des Fitzpatrick, you're looking at, uh, Kyle Phillips, who's a, you know, fifth round rookie in his own right. Um, it is there's there's just not a lot of options or at least proven options as far as pass catchers go if Burks is not a dude right away. Uh, so the Titans definitely need him to be a dude right away. And I do think that it's possible that they do go out and get a, a veteran wide receiver, one that's still on the market. Now, I don't none of the guys that are still on the market right now outside of OBJ, who's got his own ACL issue and doesn't help the early season stuff that we talked about with Woods. Uh, none of the guys that are on the market right now are like game changer type players. I mean, they're going to be solid professional receivers that you could have on the field and not feel like it's a disaster. But Burks is the one with the upside here and the Titans, if they're going to have the season they want to have this year. Cause I, I don't think they're in a rebuilding mindset. I, I think they're planning to contend with this team. They're just getting things ready in the background for like that next wave. Um, but I think Burks is, is key. I mean, he's going to, he's, he's so important to this team right now. And it's not fair uh, that one, he ended up getting, his whole draft selection gets shit on because he was overwhelmed in the, you know, AJ mania. Um, and then two, he's being asked to step in right away and fill this guy's shoes. And it's not fair, but it's a reality. And um, fortunately, I don't think Traylon Burks gives a shit about expectations or what anyone thinks of him. Uh, you know, this man's too busy out hunting wild animals with his bare hands. So um, <laughs> I, I really don't think a few Twitter people saying, you know, Burks needs to be a uh, great right away is going to really change him whatsoever. So I asked Zach this and I got to ask you, and, and again, I'm, I'm like, I'm acting like these things are equal and they're not, but who, who is under the most pressure this year to perform? Traylon Burks coming in fresh, replacing AJ Brown, or AJ Brown justifying his trade and contract ask for the Eagles. And again, look, they could both suck, and that then nobody gets their answer. But who has the more? I, let me ask it this way: Who has the more likelihood of achieving that? AJ Brown and showing up and producing for the Eagles under the QB situation they have, or Traylon Burks being able to produce um, for the Titans? Let me ask it that way. I'm, I'm going to say more likely to meet expectations is AJ because, because we know what AJ is and, and right. he's a really good receiver. We don't know what Traylon Burks is at the NFL level. And I, I love Traylon Burks uh, as a prospect. I think he is going to be really good, but he's a rookie and you know, it, it's, it's so hit or miss. The draft is so hit or miss guys that we think are going to be awesome. Turn out to be absolute garbage cans <laughs> all the time. It, it just, that's the nature of drafting professional athletes. So um, I'm going to say AJ has a better chance of being what, what the Eagles fans expect him to be than than Traylon has the, the possibility of being AJ basically. Let's talk about the defense side of their of your article. Um, the second part of your title is in finish their defense in the 2022 NFL draft. Which piece that the Titans picked up do you think fits that descriptor of helping the Titans finish their defense? So I think it's Roger McCreary, um, the second round corner out of Auburn. And, and, you know, if you were to point at one weakness on the Titans defense, just looking at the names on paper, um, it would have had to have been the secondary and, and specifically the corners. Cause you know, you feel great about Kevin Byard and Monty hooker uh, at safety, but corners, a little bit of a question mark. Christian Fulton was great last year. Feel really good about him. Uh, Elijah Molden was pretty good for a rookie and, and played a ton of football. You'd expect him to be pretty good this year as well. Um, but Caleb Farley's a giant mystery and they didn't back, bring back uh, Jack rabbit. So that was a big question mark is that other corner spot. And I think they really solidified their floor with McCreary because 
McCreary, you know, doesn't have the upside that Farley does. Like he's not six two and running in the four twos. Um, and just like the special, special athlete that Farley is, but he is a very solid, very competitive, very good corner. Um, and has a lot of versatility. Like he, he could play in the slot for certain matchups. And I think there's going to be matchups where you probably want McCreary in the slot over Molden. Um, and he just gives them a lot of, a lot of things that you can do. Um, regardless of kind of who's out there with him. Um, Cause I think he, we know Fulton's going to be on, on one side. And then the question will be who's, who's in the slot and who's outside. But now it gives you more answers than just praying Caleb Farley is healthy. Um, and right. I think that's important because, you know, we, what we know about Caleb Farley is that he's mega talented, but he's also very injury prone. I mean, over the last five years, he's had two ACL surgeries and two back surgeries. That's not great. Um, and, you know, if he goes down again, at least now you've got three talented young corners that you feel like you can rely on. Plus, you know, the, the veteran backup guys like Chris Jackson and um, Buster Screen and, and uh, the guy that they signed there, Greg Maben. Um, you've got some, you know, those are, those are all depth guys. Those, you, you don't want those guys starting 17 games for you. So McCreary really upgrades their floor. And gives them the potential to, I mean, if, if Farley ends up being good, um, which is a big if, but if he does, God, that cornerback room looks salty all of a sudden. And, and you throw that with that defensive line that we saw last year, and then Zach Cunningham and David Long working on the inside uh, together for a full season now, and that's super exciting. And my personal expectations, I, I – I know that everyone has the expectation and the want of the offense to be able to produce, reproduce, and keep moving forward. My personal expectations is I want the defense to overperform. I want them to one-up off of what they did the previous season, only because they were so abysmal, on, especially on third down in 2020. And then going into 2021, they definitely fixed that. I want to see another step forward. Um Let's talk about Nicholas Petit for air. I don't know if I said that right, but that's how we're rolling with it. Um, all MPF comes in third round pick um, for a tackle. How does he fit into this group? Does he need to produce a uh, year one? And is he, is, is he a big enough ad for this offensive line? So I, I thought offensive line was kind of the one spot that uh, I wasn't sure they did enough at during the draft. Um, you know, not taking him until pick 69 was kind of, you know, not ideal. Um, I, I didn't think, cause I, I figured offensive line was, they'd either go first round or once they traded and they had the extra picks and everything, I figured second round for sure yeah, would be I where agree. they'd go. Um, so they go and get Petit Frere and I, I like him. Like he, he was uber talented coming out of high school and you could definitely see like, the traits, right? Like his feet are incredible. Um, he's got really good length. He's got, you know, huge hands. Um, there's a lot to like about him, but there are in, uh, no flags film has a, a great, uh, James Foster has a great video series up on him, uh, today that is, it shows kind of where his weaknesses are. So he doesn't have a great anchor. Um, he does kind of struggle with, with top end pass rushers, which is all he's going to see at the NFL level. And, and for that reason, I think he's a guy that ideally you're not starting a rookie offensive lineman under almost any circumstances besides a guy that's like a top 10 pick. Like those are the guys that are usually good year one. Anything after that is probably going to be rough and definitely a guy that's taken in the third round. You're asking for some trouble. Remember how bad Nate Davis was as a rookie? I mean, <laughs> like he was so bad until the very end of that year. And it was finally that the light came on for him and he's turned it on and he's become a pretty good NFL guard. Well, I think you'd see similar struggles if you tried to throw NPF out there week one uh, at right tackle or wherever. Um so I really think he's a pick about the future. Uh, I think he's a he's a guy that can be their swing tackle behind Lawan and probably Raiden's is my guess uh, at right tackle. 
and he gets to spend a year working as a swing tackle. Maybe he gets some game reps when when Lawan inevitably has to leave for uh, a few plays here and there, or or Raiden's you know gets hurt or whatever happens. Maybe he gets some reps and gets some some you know snaps under his belt. But I think he's a pick about. 2023 and beyond more so than he is about this year um and, and offensive lines really still my biggest question because I, I you know i like aaron brewer okay um but i'm not crazy about the left guard spot no matter who they stick in there and uh, raiden's is still a huge question mark at, at right tackle and i you know it, maybe you have him and mpf compete and maybe mpf it does end up winning the job but if he does if MBF is the starting right tackle to start week one, I think the Titans are in major trouble, not just this year, but long-term, because I think that says Raidens isn't a very good tackle. Uh, and that's a problem because right now you have one piece on the offensive line that has starting experiences that is positive and is under 30 years old. And that's Nate Davis who needs a new contract by the way, after this year. So I have no idea what this offensive line looks like in two to three years. You would hope that Raiden's and uh, Petit Frere are a part of that, but it is uh, that that is still the most incomplete part of this roster to me. And and I still wish they'd go sign somebody like Eric Flowers to give them a better floor at left guard to just plug and play. I know people still associate his name with being a huge bust at tackle, but he's turned into a pretty good guard. Uh, playing at Washington and uh, Miami the last couple of years. And and I think he'd be a major upgrade over Brewer or Jamarco Jones. So last piece I'm going to ask you about is Chance Campbell. Now I haven't had a chance to read your full article, so I don't know your opinion on Campbell yet, but let me go ahead and tell you mine. I'm an old Miss Homer. He was one of the only pieces of the defense that I enjoyed watching. And I, I really liked what I saw and I just, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I really do feel like he's one of those six round picks that could end up sticking around with the Titans. Um, I don't know. I, what do you think? I really like the guy, but I'm, I'm a bit of a homer here. Yeah. I, I love the pick. Um, Cause at that point in the draft, you know, you're kind of taking traits and he has some crazy traits. Like his uh, testing numbers were off the charts for, uh, for, for a linebacker, he ran four, five, seven and jumped 40 inches uh, in the <laughs> vertical, which is nuts for a guy that's, you know, six, three, two thirty, and And it's kind of a thumper in the middle of the defense. So has, you know, tremendous athletic traits and huge production at Ole Miss last year. I mean, like 109 tackles, 12 and a half tackles for loss, seven and a half sacks, four forced fumbles, six pass breakups and an interception last year alone. Uh, that is insane production. And look, John Robinson, you can criticize him for some of his early round offensive line picks and, and whatever else. He's awesome at finding late round inside linebackers that can contribute. I mean, if you look at uh, what Jayon Brown and David Long have turned into a fifth and a sixth round pick, respectively, uh, over the last five years, that is that is what I think Chance Campbell can be. Because, I, you know, I think he's a guy that is going to make the team. I think he's going to play, be a special teams contributor right away. And yeah, I could see in a couple of years, maybe he's that David long that's knocking on the door and ready to take a job from somebody who, uh, you know, whether it's Zach Cunningham or whoever, uh, you know, down the road here, but yeah, I, I like that pick. Honestly, I liked all the Titans day three picks. I, I really liked all of them. Um, and not just because they took an Overton Bobcat. Oh, that's right. They did take it over to Bobcat. B-O-B-C-A-T-S. If you don't know what we're talking about, you didn't go to Nashville Public Schools with us, so I don't care. Bobcats, Bobcats are the best. Right on. So um, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Overall feelings on the draft from your standpoint and then this, what what pieces now, what moves do the Titans still need to make in the remaining offseason that you, Michael Herndon, goes into camp thinking, okay, they did enough feel good about camp opening up this is where we're at um go nuts yeah I'll, I'll say give me eric flowers who i already talked about a little about plug him in at left guard um and then you you feel a lot better about your offensive line situation then and uh give me will fuller because i, I know will fuller is 
injured all the time. I get it. I've made fun of him a lot for that uh, as, as a Texans player. Uh, but you're not going to have to pay top dollar for him at this point in the offseason. Like he, he got a, I think a one year, $10 million deal from the dolphins last year. And then he played like two games. Um, <laughs> he's not going to get that kind of money again. Like I think best case, case scenario, he's looking at like a two or $3 million base salary and then maybe a bunch of playing time and, and production incentives on top of that, um, which would not count against the cap for this year, by the way, uh, which is an important note there. So I think you could get him for pretty cheap. And look, if he plays 10 games or 11 games and misses six or seven, but when he's on the field, he's the difference maker that he was for Houston uh, for all those years. You take that all day for that kind of money. Um, And, and, you know, obviously you wish you could somehow guarantee that he would be healthy for a potential playoff appearance. you know, if that came to pass, but that's, you know, that's, I think a risk that you're willing to take. I'd rather have him over at Jarvis Landry. Like I I know Jarvis has been um, more durable and and more reliable over the years than Will Fuller, but he doesn't bring anything that the Titans don't already have. In my opinion, like Robert Woods and and Traylon Burks have a lot of the same uh, abilities that that Jarvis Landry has. I don't need another slow uh, slot receiver on this team. Give me somebody who's different. Give me Will Fuller. I don't care if he misses some games because at that point, the investment isn't that crazy. And you do have Robert Woods and Traylon Burks and a few other guys that you feel pretty comfortable with throwing out there. If you need to replace Fuller for a few games. What is more useless, Mike draft letter grades or the, Oh, it's too early 2023 mock draft. Oh God. Oh God. Um, I, I'm going to say the 2023 mock drafts right now because not only, I mean, these mock drafts are crazy. You know, Mel Kuyper's on uh, Adam Schefter's podcast saying he thinks there's going to be seven quarterbacks taken in the first round next year. That is 100% not going to happen, Mel. Like, that's insane. Everyone's penciling in Will Levis as a uh, as a top 10 pick right now in all these 2023 mocks that are like being force fed waterboarded onto my timeline um <laughs> have has no one watched will levis play football before like i i get kentucky fans are fired up about him because they haven't had a cor- competent quarterback since the hefty lefty but uh get out of the <laughs> this will levis top 10 pick nonsense he's fine he's not a top 10 pick so I'm glad you brought up Mel Kuyper because Zach and I had a good time at his expense a couple of weeks ago about, you know, he announced he wasn't going to be at the draft because he's unvaccinated and he wanted people to respect his choice and blah, blah, blah. And I made the opinion of, okay, why'd you tell us? Like we would have never known that you weren't there if you hadn't said anything. No one cares that you're broadcasting from home these days. No, everyone expects it. I mean, I'm not the type of person who looks at the set and goes, oh, Mel Kuyper in there. But I got to point this out. Because I, I continue to think that he's pretty useless. And so I backed up my own shit opinion by looking up past draft grades. I started with 2020 and worked my way up because there's someone on Twitter who makes this wonderful spreadsheet of 2000, you know, or I'm sorry, NFL draft grades by letter. And then who, who for the publication wrote it and what, what uh, grade they gave for it, where I'm going with this. Mel Kuyper has not given anyone lower than a C for three years. It's all A's and B's. And he just, everyone is just, oh, there's a good draft. B, uh, oh, they should, I mean, it's just every team, like the, the Jaguars from a couple of years ago, almost all those draft picks are gone. He gave them a B plus. It's just like, this is why I can't stand draft grades because it's an off the cuff, useless association of something just for fans to go, well, I feel good about that. We got an A minus. We're going to the Super Bowl when they're draft picks. They could all shit the bed. Yeah, that's the thing. And it, it's all just navel gazing and like self aggrandizing, right? Because all Kuiper's doing is looking at the guys who he had graded high and who picked who picked the most of those guys. Kuiper's not right. Like, you think Kuiper's smarter than most of these NFL teams? No, I, I don't think so. Right. Um, so I don't really give a shit about any of these draft grades. Um, I give just about as much shits but about that as I do, uh, you know, the the whole, like, 2023 mock draft. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous content. 
Um, there's so much stupid content this time of year. Like if you want to talk about the players that got drafted and the fits within the, the offense or defense or wherever they went, like, great. That's, that's great. That's interesting. That's helpful. Letter grades are stupid. Like that's not, who's that helping? Nobody. I just, I, I, this is why I don't like the letter grades. So we just read a couple of these to you. I mean, uh, the giants. A, B, B, A minus, A plus, B, A, A minus, B plus, A, B plus, A plus, B plus, B, A, 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 B. They went four and 13 in 2021. Now, is that a direct result of their drafting shit or great or whatever? Yes, I'm making a, a leap of faith there, but I'm sorry. You can't tell me that they had an A plus draft and then go four and 13 in the NFC East. I absolutely hate draft overreactions. It makes me want to beat the shit out of something. Their GPA is high as fuck, though. Yeah, given that. <laughs> GPA is high as fuck. Majored in basket weaving. Cannot get a job. And their parents are just so disappointed. <laughs> um, so who had the worst NFL draft? Who just who just had a draft that you're just like, you're absolutely useless? I'm, you, I'm going to tell you mine first off. I think it's the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> That's up there. That's up there for me too. I I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna go Patriots, and not not to say that I uh, I feel like Belichick doesn't have it anymore or anything like that. But what a weird collection of picks right. between uh, going like Cole Strange in the first round, which you know, like I feel like they could have gotten him later. Um, Bailey Zappi over uh, who was their quarterback was I think Sam Howell was still there uh, Matt Matt Corral still there maybe I, I can't even remember now but uh, Bailey Zappi going in like the fourth round when they just took a quarterback in the first last year is just weird I you know I, I know the kid's smart and was uber productive or whatever but like it's just weird use of resources by the Patriots. So I don't know. And it may be, you know, Belichick will probably end up turning all those guys into all pros somehow, but um, it was a weird draft from the Patriots for me. Mike, do you have any use for the NFL having an NFL show on the NFL network? Why did I just say all that? It's, <laughs> it's an NFL show having a three hour schedule release show on the NFL network. What, what are we talking about for three hours? <laughs> <laughs> what are you? It's, it's here's the games go home how hard I mean, is that they what they really should do is just post a, the whole schedule on the screen and just have it sitting on the screen and then they're just farting and laughing like uh marcello uh in the background like I'm, I'm fine with that <laughs> i i'd enjoy that more than what they're actually going to do which is probably have adam rank go through everybody's schedule and give them wins and losses on may's 13th or whenever the date is uh, as if he knows what's going to happen. And then, uh, you know, that'll inevitably be horribly wrong. And it's just a bunch of filler. It's just like, to me, it's, this is probably a bad example because it ended up being a great race, but I don't think anyone could waste more of your time than NBC with three hours before the Kentucky Derby. It's like a 90 second race. The Heisman trophy presentation has gotten so awful. Well, I think oh, yeah. we're, what are we up to an hour and a half now? And, it's just speeches and blah, blah, blah. And then the presentation is like 30 seconds and they're all right, there it is. You're out. And, but now here we are with the schedule release. I get it. The NFL wants their product out there 24 seven, but you're exactly right. I am so tired of this slow drip crowd. Like we just found out today, one of the Christmas games, right? Who is it? The Broncos and the Rams are playing Christmas day at four 30 Eastern. They they're leaking and dripping all these little games out. And then Thursday of this week, they're going to release the whole schedule and the NFL is just going to lay on the floor with an erection for three hours talking about these. I just, I don't need it. Just tell me the schedule on May the 1st. Let us do our own thing. Don't, don't force strip it to us. Like you're coming and shoving one piece of broccoli through the bars at me and saying, here, prisoner, here's your food for the next 24 hours. Like we gave you Titans bills, Monday night football. What do you want from us? What more do you want? And then you got radio shows. I'm going to call out Buck. Buck, I know you listen to this and I know you got shit to fill. You do a radio show every single day and you do a primetime show. So I'm not berating you. But nobody wants to talk about early game lines for week two in the NFL on May the 9th. What? What do you get out of that? It's bills minus nine. Everybody have a good night. 
Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really just ready for uh, all of sports radio to go through all 16 games of the Titan schedule the day after the schedule is released and, and give them wins and losses with certainty. You know, I'll definitely, definitely lose into the bills on that game, but, but, you know, Oh, they, they've got the Jaguars here. I, yeah. Uh, confident 12 and five confident 12 and five here for me. It is time for our Titans restraining order of the week for Titans Twitter. Uh, I got to go with Timmy here. Um, not going to read his at, but as a lot of you like to mention, you can clearly just read what I'm about to say, search it and find the tweets. So go nuts. Um, he tweets at Austin Stanley. I'm about to give you some, an inside scoop. Um, <laughs> Jarvis Landry he tags. Jarvis is about to be a Tennessee Titan. Think about what he could do on this team. Henry, Robert Woods, Burks, and I'm really high on Kyle, Kyle Phillips. And then there's this part at Titans. Make this happen. Tags coach Rabel 17 talking about Ryan Tannehill needs more. If it's an inside scoop, why are you telling the Titans to go get this deal done? The deal's not done. You don't have an inside scoop. Also, you just told the whole public your private news. I don't know what to do with you. That's not technically a restraining order, but I just want you to tweet better. That's all I'm asking. It's like a, it's like a, a child, like a 16-year-old child uh, <laughs> tweeting out, Hey, uh, my mom's getting me a new Range Rover for my 16th birthday. Uh, it's a secret, but you can't tell anybody, but she's getting me a Range Rover. Hey, mom, mom, go get me a Range Rover. Like, I, what are we doing here? Like, it's not what a do you deal. Do, what do you do with that? And plus, if you've got this scoop, why don't you send it to it privately and prove it? And But she had to tweet it out and then tell the world, hey, I've got this great secret. But by the way, it's not a secret. It's not. It's just a wish list. Uh, no, I don't have a scoop. <laughs> and mom's not getting you a Range Rover, Timmy. Come on. I would normally do uh, a Formula One and other F words minute here, but I'm going to be honest with the audience right here. And and because I, I want honesty from this group, I didn't watch the race. <laughs> I kind of forgot. I tuned in at the last, literally the last lap. And I was like, Verstappen is winning. I don't care. It's Mother's Day and I've been cooking my ass off. So I'm really sorry. I don't have a lot of F1 stuff to talk about today. Did you watch the race? I uh, I did watch part of it delayed. You know, the, the schedule thing was tough this week because, like, I really – so this is part of why I've gotten into, like, English Premier League uh, soccer is that – or football, excuse me um, – <laughs> is that it's on at, like – 8 a.m. on a Saturday or Sunday and I can wake up and I'm drinking my coffee and like maybe Dom isn't up yet and it's just chill and I can put it on and watch it and enjoy it and that's kind of what I enjoy about the F1 races that are overseas is that it comes on early in the morning I can kind of watch it it's something that's interesting that's that's on TV when there is literally nothing else interesting that I can put on the TV so I really enjoy that aspect of it. So it's tougher when it's like the, the American races, ironically, because they're, they're in like prime time slots. And now I'm like, well, I've got stuff to do. I've got a child. I've got to chase around. I've got, you know, a Mavericks basketball to watch, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so I ended up not watching it live. I watched part of it on a replay. Um, but then I accidentally got the results spoiled for me while I was watching the replay. So I was like, ah, fuck this. I uh, Verstappen was already <laughs> in the lead and I knew he, he won. So I'm like, well, whatever happened, couldn't have been that interesting. I'm guessing. So, um, yeah, I did not finish watching the replay. I'm going to cook dinner later and, and watch and just kind of fast forward through it. But I completely agree with you. One of the reasons why I've gotten so hooked on F1 is because you can watch a race at seven, eight o'clock in the morning with a cup of coffee and you know, <clears throat> excuse me, you know that your day is going to, I mean, you're going to be done with that race by like nine 30. It's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, one of the things that drives me up the wall about NFL as much as I love it. And I'm never going to stop jamming that needle in my arm is you start watching a game at noon and that is the end of your day. I, yeah. I mean, it really is by the time the NFL season keeps going and the sun just gets lower and lower in the, in the sky as the, as the summer burns off into fall and winter, you truly waste your entire day watching NFL football. Uh, and it's a waste. It has us all by the balls. But I do want to bring this piece up before I let you go, Mike, because actually I do have something to, eat and talk, about with, um, Formula One. 
the Washington Post had a really good article on May the 7th about it's called title Formula One fueled by Netflix and ESPN revs up its courtship of the U.S. fans. And this part surprised me. According to ESPN, 2021 was the most watched F1 season on American television on record, averaging 934,000 views per race, which was a 54% increase over 2020. Through four races into this season, 2022, ESPN's F1 ratings are up another 22%. The Miami race, Mike, this is 400,000 tickets sold out in 40 minutes. Good God. This thing has... This thing has America by the balls. And I, I, I really can't think of another sport in my lifetime that I've seen my friends and, and those around me that I care about get so invested so quickly, completely. I'll use my brother as an example. I hope you're listening, Mark. Um, I, when he and I get into something, say soccer or hockey or whatever, I'm really bad about I'll watch hockey in the postseason, just like I did this year. The Predators just shit the bed. Way to go, boys. But um, <laughs> did you have a good time? <laughs> did you have a good time? And for those of you listening, go, oh, well, so you didn't watch the regular season. You just watched the shit the bed in the playoffs. That's exactly what I just did. And they suck. <laughs> so anyways, F1, I'm watching practices of F1 races on Thursday and Friday afternoon when I get home from work. I don't watch the NFL preseason. I mean, I just, I just love that so many people are into it and they're into it hardcore and are buying gear. When we've been doing these live watches at Nobles um, in Nice, Nashville, I'm not kidding. There's 40 or 50 there, 40 or 50 people there at 7, 8 a.m. to watch these races. And it's awesome. awesome. I just, I love that the U.S. is embracing this and more of it. I I just uh, couldn't believe that that race sold out 40 minutes. Yeah, it's it's great. It's phenomenal. It's definitely like captured my attention. I've never been a big racing fan of of really any type besides like when I was a kid. I of course, you know, you think cars are are super cool when you're a kid right. and everything pretty universally. So I remember being into like indie car racing and F1 and stuff like that when I was like real little, but uh not since I was a teenager at least, uh, have I really cared about it. And I'm I'm definitely in. I'm watching almost every race. Um, and I I think you know, the growth in America has been stunning, but imagine if Haas either didn't suck or if there was another American team um, or an American driver. Like if Colton Herta or, or one of these other drivers that that might be able to make a jump uh, into an F1 seat that is an American ever made the jump. Like if they were able to pull off that jump right now like the fanfare would be out of control right now. Right. I mean, cause like, that's the one piece that's missing is Americans love to root for yes. an American. And uh, right now F1 doesn't even have that and it's thriving. So if you threw that on there, like it would, I feel like that guy would be a, a immediate national, like celebrity, like huge name. Like I, I'm surprised a team hasn't force fed it yet. Um just to get the the marketing and the attention and and the you know marketing like just the merchandise windfall that you would get from from having an American in an F one seat. So I I'm waiting for that day to happen. I haven't like declared a favorite team or, or favorite driver yet. I kind of root for Haas, but it's so sad. I know uh, I'm most so racing uh, most days. So like I'm I'm not really like. I just watch with interest uh, as far as like the McLarens and the the Ferraris and the Red Bulls and the Mercedes and all them. But uh, yeah, I, I want like either a good Haas team or another American team or an American driver that I can like really throw like my full support behind and get super excited about it. I feel like that'll take it to another level for me. But I yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, it, it's it's an amazing phenomenon that I don't. Yeah, I, I can't think of another example that's been like this. Well, I mean, it, you know, I'll, I'll say this. Um it's only going to get better. I, I do think there's at some point an American driver that will be stuck in a car for exactly what you spoke to, but you've got Audi and Porsche um, entering, I believe in 2024, Audi and Porsche are owned by Volkswagen auto group. And you're talking about a group that has Mercedes style money behind it, but also knows what the hell they're doing with engines. Uh, Volkswagen builds engines for Bugatti's Audi Porsche, obviously Volkswagen, they know what the hell they're doing. I'm really glad to see them get into it. It's going to add some more, I hope, add some more clout to the top of it to where you could you could have a crowded group of now Red Bull, Mercedes, 
uh, Ferrari, and hopefully, you know, whatever Volkswagen Auto Group's Audi Porsche deal ends up being, that's exciting prospect. You're getting into the sport at the right time. F1 knows that they had to make it interesting. They overhauled it in 2017 as far as their social media and public outreach. And damn, they've done a good job. And I'll leave you on this note, Mike. I hope you agree with me. There's a lot of sports, particularly the NFL, that could take a lot of cues from how F1 does their race day. Because F1 by Sky Sports, they ask questions of the drivers and the teams, and they get real answers, and it's candid, and it's fun, and I really think the NFL could take a lot of cues from it. Totally agree. Yeah, I, they, they, they're tremendous. Well, that's going to do it for us, Mike. I said we were going to be like 45 minutes, and we end up being like an hour 15. It is football and other F-words. We are brought to you by 440 Media. Check out all of their products. Um, thank you for tuning in, Mike. Appreciate you being here in coverage of Zach. Let's make sure it's not another year before you're on the podcast with me. Um, but as always, you've just been after. A Broadway Sports Media Production.